0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: Today we're going to spend most of our time right here in John chapter 6 because there's a tremendous amount of truth that we can get from this. So picking it up now, if you will, at verse 15, here's what you begin to read here in John chapter 6. It says, So Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, that was after he fed all those people, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Now that's interesting because while he was doing all of that, he was already going up to the mountain, but he had to be distracted for a moment because all these thousands of people were coming to him and they wanted to do more miracles in front of him. They wanted to hear him speak, so he did all of that. So he comes back down off the mountain, he does all of that, and now they want to take him by force back down to Jerusalem and set him up as some type of a king. Now they weren't doing it because they wanted to honor him for all that he did. They certainly weren't doing it because they saw him as being the Messiah. The real reason, and you'll see that even in the story today, is because they wanted someone who will heal them, because they remembered all the others that he healed, and he wanted someone who could somehow provide food for everybody who needed food. So they wanted someone to come in there, set up the kingdom, and provide all that they needed, kind of like a socialistic leader that would provide all their particular needs. And so they were trying to take him by force. But Jesus, first of all, knew that that wasn't his time yet. But more than that, is that that's not what he wanted to do. He didn't want to be looked at someone who's merely going to make Earth a better place to go to hell from. What he really wanted to do was to make sure that people knew him as God, and that's the whole theme of the book, Jesus is God. So he went up to the mountain, and he withdrew up there. Verse 16 says, Now an evening was come. By the way, he withdrew into the mountain alone. His disciples went down to the sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And after it became dark, Jesus had not yet come down to them. Well, let's kind of answer some questions. Why did he go up? Why did he send the disciples away? What was really going on? Let me give you three reasons that I think that Jesus was separated up into the mountain. One reason is because there was the call of the crowd. You saw that in the context there. They're all after him. and He didn't want to go just yet, the call of the crowd. I think perhaps some of us might have the call of the crowd too, that we can easily respond to the people's requests, sometimes even demands to do what they want. But because we haven't fixed our heart on knowing what God wants us to do, it's easy for us to follow the crowd, and it's important for us to have that relationship with him. But there's also another reason. He wanted to spend time alone with the Lord. Now, last week, if you remember, when we studied John chapter 6, that was the beginning. That was the foundation upon which the rest of these truths would be built upon. So I encourage you to go back and get that message. One of the things we discussed when Jesus went up into the mountain some real reasons why he went up there. He'd been ministering a long time. It's good to break away and have some time alone, catch your breath, get some rest, get some spiritual refreshment. But it was also in the context was this. He had a cousin, a cousin whom he loved, a cousin who was after his own heart that was pointing people to Jesus who died. Just didn't die of a heart attack. He was murdered. He wasn't just murdered. He was decapitated. His head was removed. He was beheaded. And so now there's that sense of sorrow. And you know that Jesus has sorrow for all of our needs and all of our hurts. But this was a family member, and along with his disciples, who had followed John the Baptist first. So he pulled him aside, and he separated from the crowd, and he was all by himself. And that's another reason. But in this story here, there's something else that's going to happen, and this is why I'd like us to engage. All those are true. But for today, I believe another reason he was separating from the crowds is that he wanted to situate his disciples in a position of trust, in other words, he want to put them in a position where that they would have to lean on the Lord. And the only way he could do that is to momentarily separate himself from the disciples and then create, make happen a situation where they would be so desperate, they would be desperate for the Lord. And he did that. And I want you to really realize that because there are times in our life where the Lord will either permit or prescribe something so challenging in our life that it might appear that the Lord isn't there. But he is there all the time because he's the one who put us in that situation. He's the one who brought that situation into our life, all because he wanted to develop and strengthen our own trust. So we'll call it a test of trust. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Well, let's go back to the passage here. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. Now, that's kind of interesting. It says, when evening came, again, linking last week to this week, if you remember, it was the end of the day. They're ready to feed these guys, thousands of them. And so they didn't have enough food. So he then fed them. Now, if there was 15,000 people, he separated them in groups of 50 and 100. So there was dozens and dozens and dozens of big cadres of people that are out there, and he had to feed them. How long do you think it would have taken him to do that? A long time. So now the rest of the afternoon is now going down to to about 6 o'clock. So from 6 until 9, this is interesting. This will keep you from thinking that there's a contradiction. There's what they call two evenings in the culture of the Jews during that time. The first evening was from 6 o'clock at night approximately until 9 o'clock. It's when the sun went down until it was completely black dark at night, when there's no light at all. That's the first evening. The second evening begins at black all the way through the rest of the night until the next morning three, six in the morning, when it starts to become light again. So you have first light and second light. Now, those terms you probably heard of, but you often don't hear of, first night, second night. And this is now talking about now when evening has come. So with the timing in here, it is now getting really, really dark as the evening is becoming. Now, he's sending his disciples out into the water. Now, what you read here, it sounds like, well, okay, I'll go if that's what you want, Lord. And so they diddly bop down over to their boats, and out they go. When you read the other scripture, you're going to find where Jesus, and this is important, Jesus made them do that. In fact, in the Greek, it said he compelled them to go into the boat to do this, which now when you read that, they didn't want to really leave Jesus at the time. They wanted to be around him, maybe because they liked his company. Maybe it's because they were hungry and knew that whatever they had to do, they were sick, he'll heal us. If we're hungry, he'll feed us, and we like to see all this action around him, and they were kind of like, um, if he has all that action and is being drawn to him, maybe it's kind of drawn to us too, and so we kind of hang around with the big guy. But you know what he said? You need to go and you need to get into that boat, and you need to get out of that water. Now they, reluctantly maybe, whatever, obediently would probably be the best word, they went into the boat, and they went out of the water. Now for you and me, there are times in our life that we know the Lord is expecting us to do something. We've taken on a responsibility, and there might be some sub-things that we have to do. And so reluctantly we do it, not because we want to, not because we'd like to, maybe because it's going to be hard for us to do it, but we do it because we know obediently that's what God wants us to do. Sometimes it could be just reading Scripture. We read it when we feel like it. We read it when we don't feel like it. We read it until we do feel like it. And so those disciples were in that particular situation. But the Lord is smart. You already know that the Lord has calmed the sea, at least on two occasions in Scripture. Two times the sea was all boisterous, and he calmed them down. Now, what most people will agree, yep, I think I can believe God will do. I know he can do that. I can see it in Scripture. It's kind of, I'm outside the faith, but maybe that occurred. But something we never think about, if he can calm the sea, he can also mess up the sea. See, he is in control of all of nature. We already know that. He did that with Jonah and the whale and all that, but the point still being is, whatever God does, it is happening so that he would get the glory through whatever's going on in our life when we turn to him so we can give him that glory back again. So he knows all about the sea, which now means he knows exactly how much that sea needs to be torn up, or how little. He knows how long that struggle and problem have to be in our life. And how little it has to be, because he is large and in charge of our life, and it is all about him. So he sends him back out into the water here. So those are a couple of reasons that we might see. Let's continue looking in the next verse. It says, it says here, After getting into the boat, they started across the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Why? Because he's up on the mountain. He hadn't walked in the water yet. They didn't even think he would do that. He hadn't seen him around. They're going to Capernaum. Now, some of you, let me bring you back geographically where we are. Now, I know it would be nice if I had a map up on the screen, but there are plenty of people that listen to this on the radio, and they also listen uh, on on, on our website. So if you will, take your left hand for just a moment. And kids, you can do this too. Take your left hand and face your palm to you. And what you're going to look at, you're looking at your palm, and your palm is now going to represent the Sea of Galilee. Your left hand now is the Sea of Galilee. So just so you'll have our geographical focus right here, I want you to look at the bottom part of your Thumb, knuckle, the bottom part of your thumb, knuckle, that is where Tiberius is. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. The top of your thumb is going to be a place called Bethesda. And then the top of your first index finger, your index finger, is going to be Capernaum. So you have Tiberius, then you have Bethesda, excuse me, Bethsaida, I'm sorry, Bethsaida, and then the top you're going to have Capernaum. So let's say that together, Tiberius, Bethsaida, Capernaum. Now, one more part over here, the top of my little finger, that's going to be where they now fed the 5,000. That's the place that they're up going up the hill. It's up that direction is the Golan Heights. Now, watch carefully. He started over here in the Tiberias, western side of the Sea of Galilee, He went across to get away from the crowds so he can go up on the mountain and have some time alone with his disciples. The crowds then ran around the Sea of Galilee. Some perhaps came across on boats, but in any case, they arrived over there. He came down, he fed them, he healed them, he did all of this stuff, and now he goes up the mountain to be alone. He makes his disciples to get into the boat, and they're going, watch this carefully now, they're going from over here where he fed the 5,000 And he's sending them over here to basically between Capernaum and maybe Bethsaida, in that area, back over to the west side. So now he does that. Later on this morning, you're going to see something that might look like the Keystone Cops. He goes this way, they chase him. He gets over there, the people then find him. Then he goes to the other side of the lake, they chase him over there. So they're running all over the Sea of Galilee on on the water with boats on the outside of the water. So there's a lot of activity. The bottom line is simply this. People wanted to be where Jesus was albeit they wanted to be where he was because he would provide for them and take care of their needs, but not worship him as Almighty God and give him glory. They just wanted him to be, a, I guess, a rainmaker for him, if you know what I mean by that term. That's who he was. Well, coming back to this portion of Scripture, so that's why he's saying they crossed the sea to Capernaum. They're going back to the west side. In verse 18, it says, the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Now, I know you read that in the Bible, but remember what I just said a moment ago. Jesus Christ is sovereign God over all of his creation. So whatever wind was there, there was something behind that wind. It was God. Whatever you might be going through, whether it's a natural thing that's come against you or something that was man-made, so to speak, man-made, that comes against you, I want you to know God Brought that in. So don't just merely look at the natural things that happen. Remember, God is large and in charge, and there's a reason behind it. It's to bring him glory. It's not to squash us like a bug. Now, when it talks about here in this verse, I think this is kind of neat. This wind that was blowing, let's talk just for a moment, because while he does do this, he still works within some of the same meteorological things that happen in life. Now, if you looked at the Sea of Galilee, it's a pretty calm sea. It's a huge lake, actually, but they call it a sea because it is so big. At the same time, if you go up the west side, you're going to find those hills, the Golan Heights. They go up about 2,000 feet, almost directly up. It's a pretty strong, steep incline. And then the Sea of Galilee itself is below sea level, so that shows you how low the Sea of Galilee is by about 200 feet. That's like a 20-story building down below sea level. So when the winds would come generally from the north, as they would here, it would blow across those mountains and then shoot down like an airplane, uh, airline, and then into the water and make it boisterous. We live in Kulio'o. The beautiful northeast winds here on our island will blow up near Makapu and come on up to the the top near Hawaii Kai, shoot down our valley. And our valley is very narrow, so it's like water coming out of of a narrow hose, and it blows through us. So the Lord, using the meteorological laws that he created, makes this happen so the water is all torn up. Bottom line is, God can use whatever he wants to use in your life to get your attention so that you can have greater faith. Now, my question is this. What is God doing right now in your life that is producing for you fear that he does not want you to have, but in its place, he wants you to have faith? What is it right now? So you think about that. Well, let's go a little bit further here. We're going to go now Another portion of Scripture might help us. Verse 19 says, Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. What's interesting is this passage right here says they saw Jesus walking. Now what you need to understand when you read the other Gospels, they did not know that this was Jesus. Now it's telling us who it is ahead of time, so it's kind of like giving us a game plan before we actually see the game. So we know that Jesus is there. But the other places, in fact, they thought he was, here's in their language, was a ghost. We might call it a mystery man. For them, here they are. They're now rowing at night. Now, get your mind around this for a second. These were guys that lived on the Sea of Galilee, basically. They made their whole life fishing there. They knew that sea. They talked sea talk. They talked Galilee talk. Their buddies were Galileans that mostly fished. Their family did this, and multi generations were in that region. They knew that lake. So it wasn't too odd. They weren't made to go into that boat. They didn't want to go because it was late at night. Maybe a little tired or so, but not because they're afraid of the water. They just got in the boat, and now they're going across. Now, when it said they were rowing, they were doing that for four or five miles. Now, the other scripture is talking about this wind blowing, but the other scriptures talk about it. Yes, it's blowing, but it's the word they use was contrary. So now they're trying to paddle, row against the wind that is shoving these waves at them. And while the waves are coming, it's splashing over them. It's probably very cool at night. they got all this brine in their eyes. And so they're trying to paddle through this. Now, those of you that have been on paddling teams here in Hawaii, you know how hard it is to paddle down the alawai, out the alawai cut, get out of the open ocean, paddle the diamond head and back, especially when there's a high wind that's going on. Now, plan on doing that after you've been up all day, working hard, doing what you needed to do, wanting maybe some sleep, and now you're told to get into this canoe, and you've got to paddle the diamond head at night. Good news, you know a little bit about the water. Bad news is there's a big wind blowing, and this wind is super strong, almost like a tempest coming at you. And they're paddling, and they're paddling, and they're paddling. Scripture says, if you go a little bit further here, it talks about it being in the evening, like I said, in verse 16. Now it says they were doing this for three or four hours, or three or four miles. They're rowing at night, and they're frightened. Some people believe, based on other context right here, that it was about three or four in the morning. Can you imagine getting into the boat at about nine o'clock at night, And you now are rowing and rowing and rowing hour after hour after hour after hour after hour after hour after hour. hour. And now it's between 3 and 6 in the morning. And you're wondering, not only are we not getting to the other side, this wind is now pushing us from up here in the northeast part of the Sea of Galilee down into the center of the Sea of Galilee. And we don't know if we're ever going to make to the land. And it's now coming into this boat. And we've done everything we know. However, we've been taught how to do this stuff. We're not going to make this. You can only imagine the fear And if you got a bunch of guys in the boat, some have more faith than others, some have a different personality than others, you can imagine the chaos in the boat that was happening at that time and the fear that was in their own heart about what's going to happen. I also believe in some measure, some of them might be wondering, I wonder where Jesus, I wonder if Jesus could do something about this. Don't know? That's my own speculation. So that's what's going on in this. I think this might be helpful for you. Let's talk about the storms in your, your life and my life for a moment. I said a moment ago that Jesus, would, the Lord God, would permit or prescribe storms to come. Some of the storms that you and I are encountering right now could be a result of sin in our life. We knew what to do, and we didn't do what we should have done, and so we rejected what God had to say. In fact, we rejected what other good godly people encouraged us to do even, and we said no to that, and now we are living the consequences of that, and we are in a storm because of this. And the Lord brought that storm, and he'll keep us in that storm until the lesson is learned. Now, if you need an illustration of that, I could think of no better illustration than the person of Jonah, who was disobeying the Lord, running from God, knew better, and he goes inside the boat, the storm is so bad, they throw him overboard, and then the seas were calm. But by then he was in the, whale, in the belly of the great fish of the whale. I said all of that to say that is a result of sin. Maybe you are there right now. The good news is, in the center of that whale, Jonah, and I'll use this word, repented. He came to grips with the situation, he knew where he was off course, and he changed his mind, and he pled with the Lord. And what did the Lord do? Besides calming the sea for the other sailors, what did he do? He threw up Jonah on land and put Jonah in the right direction. There is hope for you if you're in the midst of some tremendous storms right now, of your own doing, when you go back to the Lord as a Christian. As a believer in Christ, go back to the Lord. If you're not a believer in Christ, maybe the storms that you have are so severe by your own choices, but remember, this is your sin here. This is God's grace here. His grace is greater than our sin. On the other hand, it could be, watch this, you could be obeying the Lord. These guys, while they didn't have a lot of faith and they might have done it reluctantly, they still obeyed the Lord and God still chose to bring a storm in their life. So some of you that might be now starting to waver in your, I can't believe God to do this, why me, why this, why now? It very well could be that because you've obeyed the Lord, the Lord still wants that storm to come because he wants to do something greater in your life. So don't run from the Lord, run to the Lord right now. Well Let's go back to this passage of Scripture here because I think it's so interesting as we see what he's going to tell us here. The disciples had really some real issues that were going on. Look at it again in verse 19. And then when they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near to the boat, and they were frightened. One translation said they were scared out of their mind. They were scared out of their wits. May I ask you a question? Can you go down memory lane in your life? Was there ever a time that you were so scared you didn't know what to do? I mean, you were so panicky. When I was a young boy, teenager, actually, young teenager, I heard this roar in the middle of the night and I didn't know what it was, but it sounded like a freight train, like a big truck outside. And I got really nervous because I've my, my family lived during hurricanes in South Florida. And so we knew what a hurricane sound was. And I thought, this is a hurricane sound. But usually it, it, it kind of works up to a hurricane, blows hard, and kind of drifts off, you know. But this was like you go to bed, it's calm. 11 o'clock at night, you hear this roar. And I didn't know what it was. I jumped out of bed. I was so scared. I didn't know what, what, what's going on. My dad got out of bed. And he, we both run to the front door. And we realized we were in the middle of a tornado that was going down our street. Things were cracking and popping and splintering and flying everywhere. We're watching the houses just go. And right then, we didn't know what to do. Do we run outside? Do we stay inside? What about mom? What about my sister? What do we do? And you don't have enough. That's all the time we had before that tornado lifted right at our house, above our house, and then went on down. Our house was spared. The other houses were demolished. My point being is you can get into those stages And you just don't know what to do. that's pretty dramatic. You might not have ever been there, and I understand that. But we're not going to compare scar to scar. But whatever yours is, you might be just as afraid. Well, their fear was, was so dangerous that it kept them from seeing Jesus Christ. Maybe you as a Christian right now might be in a situation that you, you have this issue going on, and it's so traumatic to you that for that moment you forget Christ unless someone reminds you. You might forget Christ at this very moment because intellectually you know he's there, you know you should, but you're wondering how come there's a disconnect between what I know he is and what I know I should do, but why is my emotion so messed up down here? You're just like them. And maybe right then you're not looking to Christ. Well then, if you go a little bit further, they're terrified of Christ when they first see him because he said, don't be afraid, I'm Christ, I am him, don't be afraid. Maybe some of you are at a point in your life, and it could be me, that we go through this traumatic thing, we finally get to the level to realize that God is large and in charge, and he's in charge of all of this. But watch, we're afraid of him because we have so much owned that God is so mean, and all he wants to do is crush me and mess up my life. And so we're afraid of this God instead of what we sung about this morning, amazing love, how can it be? Amazing grace that would save a wretch like me. That didn't just begin when we got saved and then end once we were Christian. It goes on and on and on. So whatever you write now, I want you to know, while he is that big, and he is authority, sovereign, he is also very loving. And he cares for you deeply, and it's not about bringing you down. It's about bringing you up, building you up. And that's how good the Lord is. So keep that in mind as we go through this. Let's go on here to see what else happens next. It says here, <laughs> a very short verse, but he said to them, It is I... Do not be afraid. Would you underline that in your Bible? It is I do not be afraid. Do you know what is the 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 commandment that that seems to be asked the most, you might say, the thing that you think is most repeated in Scripture, the, the command that God wants out of us? I would think it would be do not murder. Well, that is important, so I don't want to minimize it, but that's not the biggest or most commandment. How about the other one? Do not steal. That's pretty important, too. We teach our kids that from the youngest age possible, but that's not the the command that's found in Scripture. Maybe it's do not commit adultery, and we should not. Fornication and all the rest. We should not. We should not. But yet the command that is found most in Scripture is fear not or don't be afraid. And so maybe that's the one that the Lord has to keep reminding us because while we might not roll in the direction of murder and hatred We might not roll in the direction of lust and and adultery. It may not roll in the direction of covetousness and greed all the way to the point of stealing. I know that every day of our life, it doesn't take much for all of us to be scared. And God says, fear not. Now, keep that in mind. The next time you're afraid and you keep feeding that fear, that it might be bringing a situation in your life where you're in a state of rebellion and disobedience. So it says, Fear not, and it happens to all of us, so please don't be afraid. God still loves us in a very mighty way. Now, there's three parts of this. I think you can see it in your notes. First is without Christ. You know, I don't know anything about him. The other is, okay, without Christ, but now there is this man coming at me. He's kind of unknown, and then you have Christ in the boat. Can I tell you, you preacher guys out here, this in itself, this little story is a great salvation illustration. There are those that are without Christ. They don't even know him. Then there are those that he's kind of unknown and then you place your faith in him and he comes right into your life. Now, I don't know if you're out there so far that you don't know anything about Christ. We live in this postmodern age that less and less people know about Christ, especially children growing up. And you'll find that more and more, especially in multi-ethnic cultures that bring in so much stuff that is so far away from Judeo-Christian ethics. You're going to find they don't even know Christ. So be ready for that when you want to communicate the gospel to them because those are going to be the next parents, the next generation. That being said. Then there are those who know Christ, but he's still unknown. They don't know that it's by faith alone in Christ, and he is God. So they know of him, of some religious leader, some guy who started something called Christianity, but he's still unknown. And there's that time we steps over from, he is Christ, he is in the boat with me, and I'll never get kicked out. That's the joy of Jesus Christ. And I love that about that, and how that we can continue to know who Christ is. Let's go to verse 21. It says here, so they were willing to receive him into the boat.